Uh, this morning, um, let's just spend a, a, a little bit in prayer this morning that God would uh, open up our hearts, open up our minds to uh, understand his word, uh, that it would t- dig deep into us um, as we pray each and every Sunday when we, we come before him. Father, we, we thank you again. We come before you. We acknowledge our need of you. We acknowledge that we are lost without you. We acknowledge that we need your wisdom, that we need your guidance, that we continually need to be relying on you. And as we mentioned last week in Proverbs, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. and He will make straight your paths. And so, Father, we are asking that you make our paths straight, that you give us clear direction, that you give us clear instructions, and that we would be obedient to follow them out. That, you would, that we would do as you have called us to do. As we talk about those things this morning, we pray that the Spirit would work in our hearts to make them come about. Lord, we pray that you would make us more holy as you are holy. We pray that we would seek your face in all things. And we ask that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're continuing uh, our look at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, this morning we're going to be looking at Blessed are the Merciful in verse 7. We'll see where we get to by the end of service this morning. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to read through it one more time this morning, go over a quick overview uh, to remind us of what our mindset is as we're going through the scriptures as he continues on. And so, starting in verse 2, it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, This is Jesus to his disciples, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This morning as we... Continue on, we look back and we said as we go through the Beatitudes, each one builds upon itself. Each one is an extension of the other. It presupposes that the one before it has already occurred in our lives and is continuing to occur in our lives. And so when Christ said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he wasn't talking about poverty. He wasn't talking about physical needs. What he was talking about was our own spiritual condition. That we recognize that we are poor in spirit, that we are destitute, that we come to God with absolutely nothing. There's nothing that warrants His mercy or grace upon us. It's because He gives it to us freely because He loves us. 
that we have done nothing to say that we earned it. We have done nothing to say that God should give it to us, deserves to give it to us. We're not like that. Scripture tells us all have sinned, all have fallen away. None of us is good. No one seeks after him. But thank God that he sought after us. Thank God that he came to seek the lost and to save the lost. And so we realize that we come to God with nothing. And then it says, blessed are those who mourn. And we talked about what we're mourning over. We're mourning over our sin. We're mourning over the things that we have done in our lives that have been against God. We're mourning the fact that we have been disobedient. That we, just like the people who crucified him, would spit in his face, would dishonor him, would shout at him, curse at him, do whatever we could because we didn't want anything to do with him. And we mourn over those things. We mourn that we used to be like that. We mourn even now concerning the things that we continue on in sin. But there are still things in our life that we need to mourn over. There are still things in our life that we need to, to give over to God. There are still things that need to come under his authority. And so we mourn those things in our lives. But he says we shall be comforted. We're comforted because of his grace and his mercy. It says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Talking about meekness, being like Christ, being gentle, being kind, not lording it over people, not thinking that more highly of ourselves than we ought to. You know the phrase, you know, you're you're on your high horse as a Christian, thinking that you're better than everybody else. It's not that we're better than everybody else. We recognize before God and before men who we are. We are sinners, but we're saved by His grace. We're saved by His blood covering our sins, and so it changes how we interact, how we live our lives, how we deal with other people. And so he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we recognize all of these things in our lives, when we go through this process, we realize that what he has done for us is so great. And in response to that, we want to please him. We want to be more like him. We want to come to know him more. And how do we do that? We do that by living as he did, being taught by the Holy Spirit. And so we said that God puts in us this hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not for just anything, but it's for righteousness, specifically his righteousness. And we talk about the legal justification that happens when we come to know Christ, that before God, Christ declares us pure. Christ declares us right in his eyes because his blood has covered us, has covered our sins. But we said it also deals with our moral righteousness, our right living, our integrity. God takes us and changes us to where all of our thoughts were consumed with self, and he changes us, and it's not just it's not about us anymore. It's about him, it's about his glory, it's about his honor. And so our life should reflect those things in our lives. The way we interact with people, the way we speak, what we listen to, what we watch, all of those things should be impacted because of us striving and having a hunger for righteousness, for his righteousness.
and he says that we shall be satisfied. And we didn't get into this uh, the couple weeks ago to talk about what he meant when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But what comes to mind, if you remember the story of the woman at the well, Jesus with the woman at the well, he comes to the well, he's thirsty, the woman is there, and he asks her for to draw water up for him. And he starts talking about uh, her life and all the things involved in her life. And he knows everything, knows how many husbands she's had. She's not currently married, living with another guy, all of these things. And she's amazed by all this. But what they start talking about is spiritual matters, thinking about where to worship and the different things of that nature. But Christ tells her this in John 4, 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about being at the well, drawing water up, they have to go each and every day, they will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Christ said when we have that hunger, when we have that thirst for righteousness, we shall be satisfied. And that doesn't mean that our satisfaction uh, is a one-time thing. It's not like, okay, he's put this in us, and we know that he satisfied us, and we can just rest on our laurels. We can just sit back, coast by, think that everything's fine, but it's a continual hunger and thirst for righteousness that is ever fulfilled and satisfied in him, in, in our pursuit of him, in seeking him. As we come to know him more, as we look at the scriptures more, as we read more of his word, as the Holy Spirit instructs us more, we realize how much more satisfying He is than anything else. And its ultimate expression is going to be found when we come to the end of the age or when we come to the end of our lives, when we get to see Him face to face. Jesus in John 6, and we talked about a little bit last week about Jesus and what He had done, and we talked about... Uh, the different people in the scriptures that had seen the Lord pass by. We talked about Moses. We talked about Elijah. We talked about when Jesus comes out to the disciples walking on the water, showing his deity. Well, in John 6, Christ refers back to the time in the Old Testament, in the Israelite history. He talks about Moses and all that happened there. We know that they went into the wilderness for 40 years, and they needed to be fed. They needed to be clothed. It's amazing when you read it that, you know, in all this time their clothes didn't wear out. How many of you just bought, you know, clothes last week and you already got holes in them? Or you buy them with holes in them already. But, uh, you know, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. They were fed in the desert by manna, bread from heaven. In John 6, Christ refers to that and says, you know, I am the bread of life. If you eat of what I give you, you will be satisfied. When we take communion um, at the first week of every, first Sunday of every month, remembering what Christ done, it's a remembrance of that, that he is the one that satisfies us. That the, the bread that we partake in, the juice that we partake in, is because he is our satisfaction, because of his righteousness in our lives. As I mentioned before, in, in doing the study on the Sermon on the Mount, I would read heavily from John Stott's book on it, and he's a well-known theologian. 
And he had to say this. He said, looking back, we can see that the first four Beatitudes reveal a spiritual progression of relentless logic. Each step leads to the next and presupposes the one that has gone before. To begin with, we are to be poor in spirit, acknowledging our complete and utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. Next, we are to mourn over the cause of it, our sin. Yes, our sin too. The corruption of our fallen nature and the reign of sin and death in the world. Thirdly, we are to be meek, humble and gentle towards others, allowing our spiritual poverty admitted and bewailed to condition our behavior to them as well as to God. Fourthly, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what is the use of confessing and lamenting our sin? of acknowledging the truth about ourselves to both God and men if we leave it there. Confession of sin must lead to hunger for righteousness. It has to. We can't just stay there. We must pursue God. And when we do those things, Christ goes on and he's going to tell us these next things. And it impacts how we interact with other people. So when we have recognized these things in ourselves, it allows us to behave not like the world, but like Christ in our behavior with people. And so he says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I'm sure you've heard it said many times uh, what the difference between mercy and grace is. Um, and if you haven't, we'll talk about it right now. Uh, but the easiest explanation I've heard just to talk about the difference between what mercy does and what grace does is that mercy is not getting what we deserve. So when we talk about mercy, when we talk about a judge all right, being over us, all right, we have been in the wrong. We deserve a punishment. We deserve a penalty. All right, It can be if you are speeding, you deserve a fine. But you go before the judge, and he has mercy on you, and he says, I'm going to waive it. You don't have to pay. All right? I'll give you a pass. All right? That is, that is mercy, not getting what you deserve. But when we talk about grace, grace is different in that we get what we don't deserve. It's above and beyond what should be required. So it would be like the judge saying, okay, you're not going to pay. We'll actually we'll pay you. We'll give you money. That's essentially what it is. We we don't deserve anything. We were actually in the wrong. It would be like the judge saying, okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to charge you anything, but here, here's $200 for you just for you know having to come out today and go through whatever. You know, We don't deserve it, but it, it's grace. It's given to us freely. And it's a really simplified version of how God is with us. It's all, grace is also been called God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's just his unmerited favor towards us. Richard Lenski, who was a pastor, a Lutheran pastor in the early 1900s in Ohio, distinguished it from grace this way. So the, the Greek word ilios, mercy, always deals with what we see of pain, of misery, distress. It's the results of sin that we see. And charis, grace, always deals with sin and guilt itself. He says the one is dealing with the, the results of sin, the effects of sin, but the other deals with sin itself. And so the one extends relief, that would be mercy, the other pardon. 
The one cures, heals, and helps mercy. The other cleanses and reinstates grace. And so it said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so what questions pop into my head when I go through this is, first, what is mercy? We talked about that. But then, why should we give mercy? Does that question ever pop into your head? If, you know, someone's been mean to you, someone's done something wrong to you, you know, you're struggling even with forgiveness, the question, why should I do that? What have they done to deserve that from me? The scripture talks about that. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to quite a few passages this morning, looking at what the Word of God tells us on these things. Why should we show mercy? Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Titus coming right after First and Second Timothy. So if you turn, if you're there, Titus chapter 3. This is Paul's letter. To Titus, it's one of the pastoral epistles or letters that he has written. Uh, he wrote to Timothy and he wrote to Titus, and he's giving them instructions on how to pastor the flock, how to lead uh, God's people. And so Paul gives Titus this information, and it's good for us this morning. All right, Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul tells them this. He says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul talking to Titus there goes through exactly why we should have mercy, how we should live our lives, how we are different. When we acknowledge the first four Beatitudes in our life, this is uh, the characteristics we should be living out in our lives. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, courteous, because we remember who we once were. Remember that we used to be like the same people that are treating us the way they're treating us. We remember that, you know, there are things in our lives and not all the time we are thinking straight and not all the times we said we have all the information we need and we're doing our best and we need to extend mercy and grace to people. Why? Because God has done it for us. As he said, we went on hating others, being hated by people, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of our righteousness, but His mercy. 
another verse this morning. Psalm 86, 15, it's a psalm of David in regard uh, to his situation in life. As you know, he was called out by God. Uh, he was anointed by Samuel to be the next king, but Saul was still on the throne. He was in fear of his life. He was running. He was scared. And he would continually lift up his prayers to God, and he would say these things. He says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. You are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should we show mercy? Because it's the same character of God and we need to be exemplifying those same traits in our lives. Luke 6. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, this is also a portion of scripture, another gospel account of the Beatitudes came right before this, and Jesus is still teaching, Jesus is telling them uh, these things, and he's telling them that you need to love your enemies, that when you know me, when you've been changed by me, when you acknowledge before me your own spiritual poverty, when you acknowledge and mourn over it, when you have accepted it, when you can say that before God and before men, when you strive for righteousness that comes from God and not our own, it says these things make you change the way you live your life. And so in verse 27, it says to love your enemies. You know, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Because it changes our life. And he gives us the reason why. If you look at verse 32, he says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? All right? If you just act the same way that somebody else acts towards you, so if I'm loving towards you, you love me back, everything's good, right? What benefit is that to you? But if you're mean to me and I mean back to you, you know, there there is no real love that is between us. It's just, you know, we're just responding to how... Each one of us is acting. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? If you just do good towards others that have shown you kindness and goodness, you're just responding to what they actually have already done for you. But what about those who can do absolutely nothing for you? Do you show goodness and kindness to those types of people where there is no reward, where there is no thinking, you know, hey, next time they're going to pick up the tab. You know, I do that with my uh, some of my friends. You know, we go out to eat. You know, this time it's on me. Next time it's on them. You know, and I know they're going to reciprocate. What happens, you know, is there kindness in your heart where you know people can't reciprocate? Are you still giving, showing them kindness and goodness? And if you lend to those to, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? 
says this, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus is pretty clear on those things, of how we should live our lives, of why he is saying these things. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to belabor this point this morning because I believe it's important for us that we continue on through the various scriptures this morning to discuss these things of where it's all contained about being merciful so Ephesians 2 starting in verse 1 Paul talking to the church at Ephesus tells them exactly what they were like and you were dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about Satan, Lucifer, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul continually, when he's talking to the churches or individuals, he always tries to remind them of what they were prior to Christ. Because when we recognize what we were prior to Christ, we can then get into the mindset of Christ with us. When we realize how we treated Christ and Christ's response to us, we can then say, okay, I'm feeling those same things, but what should be what should my response be in Christ? Not in what my response should be just by my own emotions and my own feelings and you know, I'm hurt and I want to lash out, but really, you know, when I did that to Christ, how did he respond? He responded with love and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control in his life, and he wants that from us as too. And so Paul tells them, but God in verse four. Being rich in mercy, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are things in our lives that come up specifically because God has ordained them to be so. We don't understand it, but it's an opportunity for us to live our lives like Christ. Right now, we're in an opportunity to live our lives like Christ. Right now, we have an opportunity as a church to live like the world and quarrel and fight and do all of these things that would be natural. 
Or we can be like Christ in loving one another, seeking the best for one another, speaking the best of each other, and seeking God to continue to unite us and make us stronger through it. And it's not easy. And he didn't say it was going to be easy. Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Colossians 3, verse, starting in verse 12. Paul again to the Colossian church. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Nobody says that. God chose you. You know that. God chose you. God, God chose you. How amazing is that? God chose you. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We show mercy, we show grace because we love one another, because of how Christ treated us, of how he continues to treat us. The reward, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. John Stott points this out, and I want to be clear because I think it's a good point. Because when we look at that verse in Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, sometimes we can be confused that because we are doing these things, we automatically receive it. But that's not the case. As we've mentioned many times, it's not our own doing, it's not our righteousness, it's our, our things, it's based on God's righteousness living through us. And so we do these things as chosen ones, as those who have been called out of the world and have been called into the kingdom of God to be his sons and his daughters. And so Stott said this, this is not because we can merit mercy by mercy. We talked about grace, God's unmerited favor. Same with, with mercy. We, we don't get what we deserve. All right, There's nothing that says we shouldn't get it. God just says, I'm not going to deliver it to you, even though you deserve it. I'm not going not gonna to give it to you. So it's not that we can merit mercy by mercy. It's not that because I show mercy to you, God's going to show mercy to me. No, it's not how it works. It's not, okay, I do this and God responds to my actions. But it's my response to God's actions upon me that then I extend that to you in showing Christ-like favor. 
And he says the same of forgiveness by forgiveness. Because we cannot receive the mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent. And we cannot claim to have repented of our sins if we are unmerciful towards the sins of others. If we are unforgiving and unmerciful towards others, do we know Christ? And I'm not saying that this just flip a switch and automatically happens. There are some things in our lives that happen that take time. But we need to be willing to look at it from God's perspective and put aside our emotions and our feelings. Christ had a, an amazing parable concerning this. And so if you turn in a little bit further in Matthew, you can go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 21. The parable of the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18. Jesus teaching his disciples again. And we've talked about what a parable is, and it is... Uh, a story that Christ told to teach a spiritual truth. And it talks about mercy and forgiveness. And so Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Sometimes it's referred to as 70 times seven Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. You know, a popular occurring thing that would be similar in our day to talk about this would be you have a mortgage with the bank, and the bank calls your loan in, but you can't pay your loan. So what do they do? They repossess your house. All right. They throw you out on the street. They do this. This is this is what the king's prerogative is here. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Right there we see mercy and grace. Mercy was showing him relief in that he wasn't requiring the debt to be paid right then and there. Grace was pardoning him from that payment, saying, you owe me this, yet I'm going to wipe it. Your, your, your debt is clean. Your slate is clean. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, we don't normally deal with talents and denarii, but talents is a much higher amount of money, some, than what would denarii. It would be, you know, $100 bills and pennies. There's a huge difference. All right? So he owed this huge sum that he could not pay, begged, 
for forgiveness. It was shown to him. But then he goes out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. Saying, pay what you owe. So his, servant, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debts. Nice guy, right? He was just forgiven a, a sum that he would take a long time to pay, was shown mercy and grace and forgiveness, and just completely forgets all of those things and says, I'm not going to extend it to this guy who owes me a, a much less sum. He refused and went out, put him in prison until he should pay the debts. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those are scary words. Christ likens it to the same thing. If you forget what has been done for you because of Christ in your life, if you forget that and you're acting out of your own things, not and this isn't talking about losing our salvation. This is talking about one who has never truly been redeemed. If you truly know Christ, you can't remain in this frame of mind. You wouldn't remain in this frame of mind. This servant obviously did not have the same frame of mind as his master. Because he was forgiven the large debt, yet went and required it a much smaller sum. For us, we're all on the same playing field. There's none of us that owe a greater debt than anybody else because we're all in the same field. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us don't have anything to say to God. Here you go. Forgive me. But it's his unmerited favor towards us. It's his mercy and grace towards us. It's his loving kindness and goodness towards us that he has extended it to us. His forgiveness. He's given us Christ's righteousness. And so he asks us in our lives, if we truly know him, to then be the same with other people, to then go and live our lives like Christ lived while he was here on this earth. I'm going to end in first. Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength. Paul writing to his brother Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, 
an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul saying, my former life, this is what I was, but this is what God has done with me. He has charged me with the awesome charge to be his voice. And God has done the same for each and every one of us, to be his voice, to be his ambassador. He has reconciled us to himself and therefore has called us to be reconcilers as well. That we speak the truth into a lost and dying world so that they might come to know the Savior we know. They might come to know the grace and mercy that we received and the forgiveness that we received. And so next week we'll continue on to talk about pure in heart and peacemakers. Because that is what he has called us to. And so this morning, wherever you find yourselves in your life, in dealing with the things that we are dealing with, even in the church, and the differing viewpoints and the differing information that we talked about uh, this morning prior to get into this, recognize that each one of us is behaving out of how we feel best we should, how to be most loving like Christ. And I pray that is the case. And if that isn't the case, then we need to go and ask for forgiveness. And we need to come before Christ and, and forgive that. But if we are, we genuinely feel that way, not one of us here should be judging another and saying, you're in the wrong, you're in, you're in the right, or I would have done it differently. But we should be extending mercy and grace and be understanding towards one another. And live peaceably with one another. Because if we don't, we don't have a ministry. And God's not done here. And God's going to see us through this. But we need to be faithful and steadfast just as he is. And so I pray as we we go home... uh, and even as we fellowship afterwards, that uh, you would all uh, please stay and eat. There's much food down there. Um, but that we can enjoy fellowship with one another. Um, knowing that Christ is the one that unites us. Knowing who we used to be, but Christ has changed us. And, and though we don't might not understand, it's been said to me, I don't understand why you did what you did. But I have my reasons. And the same can be said of other things. Well, I don't understand why you did what you did, but you have your reasons. And I trust that as you follow Christ and as I follow Christ, that he will lead us to 
the same path, in the same vein, and work together. And they can always come to you. The same is true of our lives. You continue to call us to yourself. Pray you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the strength and the will to obey your voice. Above all the distractions of this world and all the other voices that may come into our minds and even our own that is still tainted by sin, all those would be quieted away your voice would remain. We pray your peace, Father, that only you can give. And we thank you and praise you for what you are going to do through this. Because you are an awesome God. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to be patient. Help us to be kind and gentle and loving, just as your word has called us to. We pray for the meal downstairs and the food that was brought, that we fellowship together, Lord, that it would be a blessing to our bodies and give us strength for our day. And we thank you for your food, your word this morning. May it dwell richly in our hearts. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I will see you downstairs. <laughs>